we're going to hear a series of reflections from the Faith Formation Dream Team. And uh, the first one comes from Ralph Swartendruber, who is not able to be here this morning. So these are Ralph's words that I'm reading for you. Good morning, friends. You may have heard rumblings about the Dream Team and may wonder what it's all about. Let me explain briefly and try to give you a sense of why the Dream Team exists. We are all witnesses to how dramatically the world has changed because of COVID-19 pandemic. No aspect of our lives has been unaffected. We recognize the impact of the pandemic is not a short-term experience. The experience and crisis of the pandemic has encouraged us to a point in our community life where we are invited to look for ways to be relevant and inviting others, our local neighbors and our global community. We will never go back to normal. It is a time to evaluate our practices to discern if they are still meaningful or are we open to leaving some worn out practices behind? Is it possible that we need to prune back some of our outdated rituals and explore the core message of Jesus and what makes us authentic to each other and to our community today. Naturally, change brings with it doubt and fear. We recognize that fear and doubt will be present as we attempt to look at new ways of being together, but I hope we can instill and ignite in each other a passion to be willing to listen and ask questions to be creative, experimental, and innovative as we dream together. The dream team is not here to give you all the answers. I feel like I wanna say that one again. The dream team is not here to give you all the answers. Our job is to lead us together in a conversation facilitating and giving space for good discussion and dialogue. We hope to empower a movement that inspires us to be forward thinkers and movers together, being inclusive to all and leaving no one behind. So our invitation is clear. We invite you to join us in our dreaming we invite you to ask honest questions, listen to each other deeply, dare to discern together, and be open for what might be next for our community of faith. And I'm Carissa Gredler one of the members of this dream team. Um, 
as Ralph said, our group has come together through Mariah, but our group has come together multiple times. Um, the work hasn't been easy and it hasn't been clear. We have discussed our stories, dissected the past, analyzed the present, and dreamed about the future. One conclusion that we have come to is what used to work isn't working so well. There's so much that we don't know, and we don't know what to do. What we do know is that there is a seismic shift in our society and in our church, which demands our attention. We also know that we love the church, that we love Jesus, and that the vitality of the church and the message of Jesus is worth our attention, our time, our effort. And if we, we are able to face what is, to be honest about where we are in our changing church community, the realities we face, even if it is uncomfortable or discouraging, it helps us face what can be next. Instead of only asking ourselves about the curriculum for our Sunday school classes or programming for youth activities, Maybe we need to go deeper. Maybe some better questions would be, how do we teach our young people, or all people for that matter, to be lifelong followers in the revolutionary way of Jesus? How are we adapting to the changes in our culture and society and truly embracing the lifelong journey which warrants change? How can we experiment with a new way to be church and live in the world as God imagines it? What are our enduring values? And when and how do we begin to experiment and open ourselves up to this new way to be church? The answer to this one that we can feel compelled to share with you is that the time is now, but that it won't happen overnight. And answering the question of how is the work of all of us, not just a few individuals. When I consider the urgency of the moment that we are in as a church, the picture that comes to mind is the landscape in Jasper National Forest in Canada, which we visited this summer. Like many forests, it is a fire-dependent ecosystem, and some areas are in desperate need of a fire. When we visited the area of Medicine Lake, we saw firsthand why this is. A little over a year ago, a fire did burn through this area. And while we saw remainders of the devastation, it was much more remarkable to witness the amount of regrowth that the area experienced in such a short time. While fires can be scary and can feel risky, they are necessary for allowing new growth to rise from the ashes. The essence of the forest and the fire-dependent seeds 
have a place to flourish. Fire, then, is not a destructive force, but a recreative one. We are at a time when some of our boxes and old concepts of church may feel that they are burning, and we wonder what to hold on to and what to let go of. In this place of letting go, we can see that the fire of the Holy Spirit is already at work, burning the resin off of those seeds that are just waiting to begin the work of recreation. The place of unknowing is fertile soil for new creativity and new things to come. The place of unknowing is fertile soil for new life to begin. I'll be reading from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Our passage from Deuteronomy describes in some very broad and also very specific ways in which we're supposed to pass on faith to the next generation. You know, binding, uh, binding uh, our hands and, and putting emblems on our forehead and writing it on our, over our doorways. Um, I was thinking maybe what an updated version of that would be, you know, getting tattoos on our arms or <laughs> I don't know what else, or putting a signature on your email, what, what would be kind of the updated version of this? Uh, maybe what could be considered the first children's ministry manual of passing on faith to the next generation. To set the context, uh, after more than 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the people of Israel were about ready to enter the promised land. And this was a big moment for them, a big moment of change. A lot of change was about ready to happen. Um, in the wilderness, they were largely a separate and isolated nation. But now they would be among people of different religious practices. There would be temptations and distractions aplenty to make them forget the God of Abraham and Sarah and the God who led them out of Egypt. 
And God would not be visibly present with them in the same way, by a cloud and by a pillar of fire. So a big question that loomed before them was this. How would their faith in God be passed on to the next generation in this new land? This strange new land. How would it survive? Toward the end of his public ministry in Luke 18, even Jesus seems to wonder if there will be faith on earth upon his second coming. And I wonder if the circumstances and challenges of our time make this question all the more urgent and pertinent. We face some uncharted territory as a broader church as we emerge out of a long pandemic, as already has been mentioned. What will the shape of our church community look like in the coming years? What kind of faith will we continue to pass on to our children and our children's children? Frankly, many of these changes were already happening before the pandemic, which merely highlighted and maybe um, accelerated some of these changing dynamics in terms of how we relate to our faith communities and the way we practice our faith. One of the questions that animated our discussion as a dream team was describing the character and shape of the community that nurtured faith in us as children. And perhaps you can think a little bit, what was, what was the, the community of faith like for you growing up? How was faith nurtured in you? What were the values that were passed on to you? We talked about the adults who took interest in us and encouraged us to explore our gifts. We talked about the values that animated our church community that we saw lived out on a daily basis. And it wasn't merely a, a nostalgic remembering of a more glorious past, right? We also recounted and lamented the ways in which our childhood communities were flawed and maybe passed on image of, of God that were not life-giving. But no matter what we experienced in the past, we still have to answer the question of what kind of community of faith do we want to help create today and into the future? What values do we want to be sure to pass on to the next generation in how we live and talk? One of the pieces of wisdom we see here in this Deuteronomy passage is that passing on of faith is a matter of the heart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. The truth is that when it comes to passing on faith and values to others, to our children, we tend to reproduce who and what we are. In our group discussions, we kept coming back to the assertion that we can't talk about forming faith in our children without also talking about how we as adults continue to be formed and discipled as followers of Jesus. You can't separate the two. Forming faith in children requires that we create experiences where adults and children can share and do faith together. A second piece of wisdom I see in this Deuteronomy passage is that passing on the faith involves making an impression by practicing the faith over a long period of time. Impress God's ways on your children, it says. And the Hebrew word translated here as impress 
implies repeated action over and over again. And the picture that comes to mind for me is one also in our trip out west, like Chris's uh, family, of seeing the, um, the canyon in the Yellowstone Park, how that river carved out that immense canyon over hundreds and thousands and millions of years. Faith is passed on in our homes and our communities of faith as we practice the way of Jesus together from day to day, from year to year. This is a marathon, not a sprint, not something that we'll solve overnight. The third piece of wisdom that I see here is that we are to tell our stories of our own rescue. If you read beyond what we just read here this morning, they were to recount the ways in which God rescued them from Egypt. When did God show up for us in our lives? What is the good news of the way of Jesus, and how do we talk about it, influencing the ways in which we live today? As Sarah Wanger Schenk asks in her newest book, why are we so often tongue-tied when it comes to talking in authentic, genuine ways about our testimony of how God is at work in our lives with our children? Sadly, we often lack the fluency with the winsome nature of the gospel, or maybe we are reacting to the ways in which we see it done poorly around us. If you were at the Rockingham County Fair last week and you were in the exhibit hall, you may have noticed there was a religious group there and, um, and they were doing some evangelism. And I, ha I have to admit, I cringed and I kind of like ducked past that as fast as I could. It said one of the leading questions was, are you 50%, 75%, or 100% sure that you're going to heaven? And for me, that just brought up all kinds of memories of the fear-based evangelism that I grew up with, that I don't want to pass on to my kids. But then I have to ask myself, am I driven more by what I'm reacting against? Or am I inspired by a hope-filled, life-giving vision of what I think the gospel is about? And how am I talking about that with my kids? And looking at this Deuteronomy context, we get to take the long view. God's people have been called to do faith formation in many contexts, many different contexts all throughout the ages. In the wilderness, on the road, in the temple, in exile, in synagogues, in catacombs, in village chapels, on the street, in the suburbs, in the city. And for over the last two years, we've been learning how to participate in faith formation during a pandemic. We have abandoned some of things, we have adapted others, we have created new things, we have wrestled with technology, we have grieved losses, we have celebrated new ventures and relationships, new ways of being together. We have wrung our hands and racked our brains about what to do next. And we may have even redefined what is successful as we have followed that great tradition of creating and adapting the ways we go about faith formation in whatever new context we find ourselves, whatever new land we venture upon. So now we're called to explore and think and dream about faith formation for the coming months and years. Can we imagine the story of God weaving its way through us to our children and to the seventh generation and beyond? Some of our purposes and aims may be the same, but we have to recognize the ways in which our community has changed, both in the church and, in, and beyond and around us. 
We most likely cannot go back to the way we used to do things. And maybe adding on more programs may not be the answer. Perhaps we need help setting aside all the doing that we clutch so tightly to so that our hands can be open to receive the abundant gifts that God has in store for us. We need time to be, time to reflect, time to learn and grow, time to love our neighbors, time to seek justice and mercy, time to dream, and time to let go of some of our fears. We were indoctrinated growing up, and we don't want that for our kids. I don't understand the new language of our youth. I'm just not that good with kids. Sunday school and church worked really well for me. Why do we want to change that? I don't understand how to read the Bible. How am I supposed to teach kids? Am I going to get in trouble for reaching out to youth? I hear so much about Safe Church, and it makes me want to keep my distance. I have my doubts and fears when it comes to my own faith. How can I be genuine without passing on those to our youth. I just really don't understand how to interact with young people in this digital age. I'm done with the kid raising stage of life. What do I really have to offer anyhow? I don't want to give up the close-knit groups of friends that I'm a part of and don't have time for more. We are losing our children and youth. Will they come back? And will they continue to choose faith? Did you hear yourself in those statements? What was something that might have been missing? Our own faith formation could have had a lot of effects on us, some that we celebrate and some that we grieve. How might that be blocking us from dreaming into the future? Can we be conscious of our fears and our hopes that feel unmet. One of the strengths of our tradition is that we not only have space for praise, but we have room for lament. As you have heard all of this this morning, what has it stirred up in you? What are your questions and what are your laments?
going to have a moment of silence. And I want you to hold your own wrestling out before God in the words of what your lament is right now. God, thank you for hearing us, even the hard things. Amen. But we are not left there. While we do this looking back, we also look forward. So each of us is going to share what we are hoping for. Reflecting on the question, what is one hope or dream you have for faith formation at Parkview in the future? My dream is that we all, every age, fall deeper in love with Jesus and are radically transformed to follow Jesus' ways in the world that we can embrace each other as an intergenerational body of Christ followers, knowing that our faith is better when shared with others. Here are some of Ralph's hopes and dreams. He hopes that we can have everyone involved in this dreaming time. He hopes that the surrounding community becomes in some way a part of our faith community. And he hopes, or he dreams that children growing up in the Parkview community will know who they are, a child of God, and love everybody. Uh, as an amateur farmer uh, who half the time doesn't know what he's doing, trying to grow crops, uh, I think one of the things that fills me with hope is seeing the way there's oftentimes, there's many times an abundant harvest, even though I don't feel like I know what I'm doing, right? Always seems to be an abundant harvest. And so it got me thinking about, you know, sometimes I don't feel like we know what we're doing in the church. Even though I have a degree, uh, none of us are experts in terms of what it, what it takes to pass on faith to the next generation. It's a mystery, right, in terms of how that happens. But my hope is, is that as we fumble along, as we experiment, as we get past our fears that we don't know what we're doing, God somehow comes and does an amazing things and produces an abundance of a harvest and produces, like, seeing the kids come up here this morning, I just have to wonder about all the gifts that are already apparent in them and what gifts are yet to be that will emerge as they grow. And so I'm filled with hope, knowing that even though I don't oftentimes know what I'm doing, that God always comes alongside of us and produces an abundance of faith that is oftentimes simply a miracle, that I can just simply stand back and say, wow. I hope for myself and my family to hear more of your stories and to know more of your names, 
and that you would also know ours. I hope that my kids find a place of belonging here with people who show genuine care for who they are as people. I hope that as a church, we can find creative ways to in invite young people to encounter God in our church community and beyond. I hope for vulnerability and for depth in conversation and relationship in this community that embraces the hard questions and welcomes the unknown and uncomfortable. And I hope that we can be filled with energy and passion as a community, each and every person, to change the climate and not just respond to the climate change. So we want to thank the Dream Team for sharing with us, but we also want to bless them. You'll find in your bulletin a litany of blessing that we are going to uh, bless them for their continued work, but you'll notice that we're all included in this, in this blessing. This, we're not just blessing these four. We're praying God's blessing on all of us together as we do this work together. So we start out with the congregation reading together, and then the Dream Team has a few lines, and then again, we all We'll read together the, the final section. Let's read together. Empowering God with your people throughout the ages, we call each other in the church to develop and use our gifts for your service. Thank you for raising up faithful dreamers among us. With joy, we commission them for their work. Bless them with the love of Christ and the church. We pray for wisdom, patience, hope, and courage to dream new dreams. Humble in spirit, yet confident in your leading. May we use the open space provided to us to breathe more deeply of your Holy Spirit. Together. 